0: We're going to be all over our Bibles this morning, and uh, I assume that's okay. Uh, We're a a Bible-believing church, and God's people need to be a Bible-reading and uh, Bible-practicing people, so uh, that's what we're going to do here this morning. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to, uh, first of all, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I want to talk to you on a on one of the more misunderstood doctrines in all of the Word of God, and that is the subject of repentance, the subject of repentance. Now, you can all quit shouting amen and swinging from the rafters and getting all excited. Uh, Repentance isn't something that people typically get excited about, but I think Once we get into this, we'll see just how critical it is, and uh, whether we want to be excited about it or not, we do need to understand the importance of it. Uh, First of all, without repentance, there's no salvation. Uh, Repentance is connected to salvation, and we'll see just how. As a matter of fact, let me just put a thought in your mind here for a moment, and I I want you to just sort of um, keep this uh, with you, and we'll go back to it. Before this message is out, but I want you to think in terms of this repentance qualifies us for a pardon. It qualifies us for a pardon, but it does not entitle us to a pardon. It doesn't entitle us to a pardon, it qualifies us for one, but repentance alone doesn't get us a pardon. Okay, you're not gonna get to heaven by saying, Okay, Lord, sorry. I won't do it again. Uh, That's not how you're going to get to heaven. Uh, Paul talked about repentance toward God in Acts chapter 20 and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so repentance qualifies us for a pardon, but it does not entitle us to a pardon. It's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that entitles us to a pardon. It is a critical doctrine it is a misunderstood doctrine. It is a doctrine that in many ways, I would say, has sort of gone the way of the dinosaur. But here it is in the Word of God. It's all over the New Testament, especially it's in the Old Testament as well. In Second Peter chapter 3, we find out that God is not willing that any should perish. Well, I don't know how you can read that and come up with limited atonement. I don't know how you could read that verse, that God is not willing that any should perish, and come up with the idea of unconditional election, or worse yet, double election. Some elected to be saved, some elected to be damned. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But that all should come to uh, repentance. Second Timothy chapter two, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25, let's back up to verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. By the way, I think that should characterize our soul winning efforts. Now certainly Paul is talking to a young minister here, so this should characterize the ministry, but our soul-winning efforts. I think of how unreceptive to the gospel I was the first few times I heard it. And I'm thankful that there were those that were patient and were gentle with me. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance, repentance, this turning away from what's wrong, turning away from sin to what is right, repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Repentance is a turn toward God. And then there's the acknowledging of the truth, the truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. John the Baptist preached repentance. He said in Matthew 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ preached it in the very next chapter, said the very same thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles preached repentance. And they went out and preached that men should repent. Mark chapter 6. Peter preached repentance in Acts 2 and Paul preached it as late as Acts chapter 20, demonstrating to us that progressive revelation does not eliminate the need for the preaching of repentance. Now, I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Now, I don't think we should be walking around all the time insecure about our salvation. Uh, I don't believe in that, and, and I'll, I'll go back to that in a second. But Paul does tell us to examine ourselves. You know, I find that most of us are pretty good at examining everybody else. But we're a little, we're a little less anxious to examine ourselves. But Paul tells us to do it. And he says this, uh, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. Now, now Paul's questioning. He's frankly questioning the salvation of many of them because of the way they were living. You read these two epistles to the church at Corinth, and there were a lot of problems. There was a lot of carnality there. Paul, Paul wondered at times, you know, is there real conversion here? So he tells them to examine themselves. So I believe this morning we ought to do it. You say, well, preacher, man, I've been saved. You know, I've been saved however many years you've been saved. 10 years, 20, 50, 55. Still a good idea to examine ourselves once in a while. Still a good idea to remember the particulars of how God brought us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How he granted us repentance and we came to faith in the finished work. Of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not advocating what they call down south uh, a retreading ministry. And the retreading ministry is usually an evangelist, more often than not a Calvinist. And they go from church to church talking everybody out of their salvation so they can get them saved again. It looks good on the resume. Uh, Down south, they call them retreads. Brother Jack Wood used to preach a message on retreads. He said, don't be a retread Christian. He said, retreads can't take a lot of speed. Retreads can't take a lot of heat. When I lived down in Pensacola, Florida in Bible school, I used to use retreads on my car. Had a 67 Chevy four-door Impala with a little uh, 283 in it. And uh, I could get... I could get four retreads mounted and balanced for a grand total with tax of $40. You'd be lucky to get a valve stem for that now. <laughs> Forty bu- I remember like it was yesterday. And uh, I would drive back and forth to the shipyard, and Brother Wood was right. They don't take a lot of heat, and they don't take a lot of speed. I had one of them come apart right on the, right on the interstate, come flying apart. So we're not, we're not trying to make retreads this morning. If you know Christ, then you know Christ. But Paul does tell us to examine ourselves, and I, I do believe we live in a day and age uh, characterized in a book called I Surrender that says the church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It's a change in belief without a change in behavior. The author goes on to say in The Flyleaf, it is revival without reformation. It is revival without repentance. It's like doing painting without doing prep work. It's like doing body work on an auto Without doing the prep work and just painting over the top of whatever is there. Planting a garden without tilling or weeding. And by the way, after we get saved, our need for repentance does not diminish. It's just other things we need to repent of. Amen. 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 A lot of God's people have a similar problem to when they were lost a certain hardness of the heart and an unwillingness to turn. And so this idea of repentance is an important one. And I want us to take a look at what it means this morning, what produces it, and then in the end, what it produces. Real repentance, according to Webster's 1828, is sorrow or deep contrition for sin. Sorrow because it's an offense to God, it's a dishonor to God, and a violation of his holy law. This is called evangelical repentance, and is accompanied and followed by an amendment of life. Sorrow for our sins, and an amendment of life. Let me challenge you this morning before we go any further. When's the last time you repented of something? When's the last time you say, well, I'm saved. I I, I get that. But I mean as a Christian, when is the last time God spoke to your heart and you said, I'm wrong about that? Why are those words so hard to form in our mouths? Now, as I said earlier, we're pretty quick to see where the other guy blew it. But when's the last time God spoke to your heart as a believer And he said, you know, I need to repent of that. I need to change. I need to amend what I've been doing. Let's talk about the threefold nature of repentance. Number one, it involves the intellect. The intellect. Uh, Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 21. (coughs) And a story of two sons here. And in Matthew chapter 21, Verse 28, but what think he? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. Now, later, Jesus is going to say, this son represents the Gentiles, the people that weren't considered God's people, God's chosen people. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Now that second son represented Israel. With the the, the loudest and most open profession of faith and being God's people, God's chosen people, the lip service was there. The happy talk, as they would say in the military. I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first... Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, there's that word, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. No, they just got jealous of the Gentiles. And notice how they got ornery with Jesus every time Jesus brought the Gentiles into the discussion. In their mind, the Gentiles were below them, the Gentile dogs, as they called them. Paul's giving his testimony in the book of Acts one time before the Jewish leadership, the religious leaders. And they're listening right along and even listening to things about Jesus appearing to Paul or Saul, as it were. And they were okay with that. And then and then and then Saul used that word Gentiles. And the place just came apart. They they just they just couldn't handle the idea that those Gentiles were anywhere near equal to them, but never mind a leg up on them. And what was the problem? Here were God's chosen people, the caretakers of scripture. Folks, every author. And this blessed book is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your Savior comes from the tribe of Judah. Wonderful what God bestowed on Israel. Yet they came to a place where they could no longer turn away from their sin and to God and develop the hardness in their heart. And so what did they need? They They needed repentance in the intellect. They needed to change their minds, they needed to change their minds. Can I challenge you this morning, is there something you need to change your mind about? Is there a pet sin you've been keeping around? You feed them every day, you send them to obedience school? Huh? And, and you know, it's, just, it's pretty harmless having them around. Repentance involves the intellect, changing our minds. This one son said, I'm not going. And he got thinking about it, and he changed his mind, and he went. And he went. He did the will of the Father. He did the will of the Father. you got some unfinished business between you and the Lord. It's been laying there for a long time. There's still time to repent for us to change our minds. Uh, notice also it involves the emotions. Let's go to 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and Second Corinthians chapter 7, we'll see that repentance involves the intellect, a change of mind, but also it involves the emotions as well. Verse 7, for, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, and your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. What's Paul saying here, in verse eight? He was saying, "Look, I I didn't really want to make you sorry, on a human level. Uh, you know, I, I, I've you know I've heard guys stand up behind the pulpit and you know." Basically, tell everybody they're a slam bam. Thank you, man, preacher. And if you don't like it, lump it, stick it behind the door, and bump it, and all that other stuff. But there really aren't too many people that are much different than Paul here. He says, though, I did repent, but but he said that sorrow was but for a season, and and he rejoiced in what it produced. And we live in this day and age, and I think most of us know it, where the modern church is all about, you know, the church service has got to put a big, all-teeth smile on your face by the time you walk out that back door. And and, and God needs to know that a good time was had by all. Because that's really what he's concerned about. But is it possible that God wants us to come to church sometimes? Is it possible... God wants us to read our Bibles first thing in the morning. Is it possible that God wants us to be sorrowful for our sins that we need to turn away from and repent of? And so many of these sins are so hard to see because they're the pets that I just talked about. They're the things that, well, that's just the way I am. I hear Christians say this stuff, and it's... it's, it, it's, it's harvested right out of the, right, right out of the garden of uh, psychology. Well, you'll just have to accept me the way I am. No, I don't. <laughs> Here's another one. You just have to respect me. Nah. <laughs> respect is earned. He says, but now I rejoice, verse 9. Not that you were made sorry. I, I wasn't just trying to make you feel sad just for feeling sad's sake. But he says, but that ye sorrow to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Now look at verse uh, 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. It isn't salvation, but it works repentance to salvation. It qualifies us for that pardon not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And I think one of the most glaring examples of that sorrow of the world would have been Judas. Judas's uh, repentance. It was a different kind of sorrow. It wasn't uh, a godly sorrow. Verse 11, notice the, the, the amending of the ways here. He says in verse 11, For behold the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves yay what indignation yay what fear yay what vehement desire yay what zeal yay what revenge do you know why why sin is just leeching into our culture and every nook and crack crack and crevice and and weaving itself within the warp and woof and fabric of our society it's because we don't have enough of what you just looked at there in verse 11. Against sin, starting with our own sin, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, revenge. And so things have gotten so muddled that now I was watching something the other day and this transgender stuff gets so confusing sometimes, I get lost on the trail it was this boy that was becoming a girl that was wrestling as a girl or was it a girl that was becoming a boy that was wrestling as a girl and the feminists were split and some were against it and some were for it but the big question now was would he be wrestling as a boy or a girl depending off she was a he or he was a she next year and i said to my wife i said did you get that how did we get to that point There's no more indignation. There's no more fear. There's no more vehement desire. There's no more zeal. There's no more revenge. It's just, to use the expression, it's all good. Why get all upset? Uh, It's not my problem. And folks, it may be like that out in the world. But it shouldn't be like that with us. I, you know, I've often said David didn't have a lot of faults, but he made the most of the ones he had. <laughs> but I'll say this about David. You read Psalm 51, he had what I call a hair trigger repentance mechanism. I mean, when Nathan's, the prophet Nathan said, Thou art the man, he didn't argue with him. He knew. And he repented. There was sorrow there. I think of Peter's tears of sorrow and of repentance when he denied the Lord and the Lord looked at him. That's all it took was a look. Jesus didn't have to say anything else, just a look. And the Bible says Peter went out and wept what? Bitterly. Bitterly. In contrast, we read in Hebrews chapter 12 that Esau, Esau, he he, he sought For repentance with tears, but he couldn't find it. And and when you look at that, you scratch your head a little bit and say, well, was God being hard with them? But you go back to the Old Testament, you you go back to the book of Genesis, and and, and he's crying, give me a blessing, give me a blessing, give me a blessing, I want, I want. And there wasn't any sorrow there. I had sold my birthright. Are you ready for this, guys? For a bowl of chili, it's about what it amounted to. You would have think he would have he would have thought more of his convoluted priorities. My God, what have I done? But his tears were, in fact, crocodile tears—what we often associate with jailhouse religion—and then. Lat- then lastly, it involves, it involves the will. It, it involves the will. Uh, take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 15. It involves the mind. It involves the emotions. Folks, don't spend all of your emotions on Hallmark movies. Ladies, I hope you have a few tears left for the house of God. Or, or guys, when your team loses... I mean, the worst thing happens, they get to that championship game. Brother Aldridge was giving me a hard time. Where, where are you, bro? I'm going to tell on you here. Where is he at? He's hiding. Oh, there you are. A <laughs> couple years, his hockey team he likes, the St. Louis Blues, you know, they were going deep into the playoffs. And being a good friend like he was, he just wanted to call me and remind me that my team didn't even make the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) It's always good to have a good friend around somewhere. And I said, yeah. I I said, that's great. I said, now you can get emotionally involved, and they'll drag you further and further into the little pigeonhole there. And then when they lose, you can feel bad. I won't feel bad because my team didn't even get there. (laughs) But you know what? We can spend our emotion on things like that, can't we? And other things. Do we have any left for the things of God? It involves a will. Look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And you got to give this young man credit I mean, man, when he messed up, he messed up royal. But when he decided to get right with God, uh, he didn't fool around. Luke chapter 15 and uh, verse 17, the Bible says, And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, you know, when we get backslidden, we're not ourselves. We get backslidden, we're not ourselves anymore. But he came to himself. And, and said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Man, it's a far cry from when he left the father's house. When he left the father's house, he had all his needs, all the necessities of life, but he wanted more and more and more dessert. He, he developed what I call a sweet tooth. You know what most of our problems are? here today. Not all of them. Don't misunderstand. But Most of our problems as Americans are American problems. So what do you mean by that? Man, I'm a little late. The traffic was a mess. Who lost the remote? That restaurant shut down. Now where are we going to eat? You know, for most of us, uh, that business of having food and raiment, let us therewith be content? We forget that sometimes. And somehow or another, we get it messed up in our heads that, that God owes us not just the bread and butter, if you will, the meat and potatoes and the vegetables, but, but uh, not, and not just dessert, but we want the dessert bar all the time. With 60 choices. And that's how, the, that's how the prodigal son had gotten. He had it all. And he just wanted more and more. And that appetite, that sweet tooth couldn't be satisfied. So he went out into the world and he squandered it all. And then pretty soon the basics started looking pretty good. And he says here, he says here, Man, the hired servants of my fathers have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger. Uh, I will arise and go to my father. He he had changed his mind. He had had expressed sorrow, and and he will express more sorrow uh, as we go here, but he says, I will go to my father. There's the will. He gets up and does something about it and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee notice, I've sinned against heaven, and before thee, unlike Esau, who was just give me a blessing, give me a blessing. He, he realized he sinned. He, first of all he sinned against uh, God, and, and 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 then against his father. And and watch this one now, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. That's a sure sign of repentance. He asks no quarter. Now his dad had other ideas. Amen. And his dad gave him the kiss of forgiveness and the clasp of affection, the robe of adornment, the shoes of protection, the ring of honor, and the feast of provision, the words of appreciation and the joy of gladness. But that's not what he was asking for. He said, let me just be one of the hired servants. You know what that is? That's repentance, folks. That's repentance. Well, Lord, I'll, all right, I'll consider getting right with that thing if my wife gets right about the thing that she needs to get right about. I'll go forward if someone else goes forward. I was in a meeting years ago. I may have told you this story. It was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Nevada. And it was one of these meetings where you had morning service and evening services, and it was the first day of the conference. It was a, um, I think it was, the first, it was the first day service, morning service. It was a Tuesday morning. And I'm there, in, sitting in there, and I'm one of the, you know, keynote speakers or whatever. And, and this guy preaches, and you ever, somebody gets done preaching, you feel like you need to go find some clothes, like he, somebody just undressed you? You just feel exposed, and I did, and the invitation is given, and, you know, the Lord's pretty clear what I needed today to go forward and pray, and I'm arguing with God, and nobody else is going forward, and finally, I said to the Lord, Lord, all right, I'll go forward if someone else goes. And sure enough, as soon as I said that to the Lord, a little 10-year-old girl with pigtails (laughs) got up out of her seat and went forward and started praying. The Lord said, okay, now go. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? I better go. This is going to get more humiliating (laughs) the longer I go. But I remember arguing, Lord, Lord, I'm I'm a keynote speaker. And the Lord said, yeah, you're a keynote speaker, and you're going to be up there by yourself if you don't go. Make me as one of thy hired servants, he said. And look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. Now that's what he was going to say. He didn't get much of that speech out, did he? And he arose and came to his father, but he was yet a, a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Someone once said, if there are a thousand steps between us and God... He will take all but one. He will leave the first one for us. The choice is ours. That's all he had to do is take that step toward the father. And the father ran toward him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Dad isn't even listening to him. Father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe." And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hith- hither uh, the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and, it- and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. It involves the will. It's a sinner taking direct action against his former actions. He is repenting of those actions. Frederick, Frederick uh, Charrington lived from 1850 to 1936, and most of the action in his life is just before and just after the turn of the century. He was uh, a member of the wealthy Charrington family in England who owned the Charrington Brewery. His, uh, his fortune was worth $66 million dollars back in the late 1800s, just before the turn of the century. One night he was walking along a London street with a few of his friends, and the door of a pub flew open. And a man, staggering drunk, staggered out, cursing and swearing, with his wife hanging to his arm, pleading with him, please, the children haven't eaten in two days, please, I haven't eaten in a week, please, if you must stay, would you please give me a couple of coins? And he cursed and turned and hit her in the face and knocked her down on the pavement. sherrington and, and his friends were, were horrified. And he ran up to the man and pinned the man's arms against his back. And his two friends went to, to minister to the woman's wounds. And finally the police came and took the drunken man off and And they took the lady to the hospital. And then, as Charrington brushed himself off, he noticed a lighted sign in the window of the pub. Drink Charrington Ale. The multimillionaire brewer was suddenly shaken to the core. He realized that his confrontation with the violent husband would not have happened if the man's brain had not been awash with his family's product. When I saw that sign, he later wrote, I was stricken just as surely as Paul on the Damascus Road. Here was the source of my family wealth and it was producing untold human misery before my very eyes. Then and there I pledged to God that not another penny of that money should come to me. You can look them up in the history books. History records that Frederick Charrington became one of the most well-known temperance activists in England, renouncing his share of the family fortune and devoted the rest of his life to the ministry of freeing men and women from the curse of alcoholism. He started a home on a little island in the middle of a river just nearby the east side of London, which was the down and out district and uh, spent his whole life helping men and women find Jesus Christ, get off of alcohol, and get off of drugs. Uh, One journalist decided that he fit the description of Jack the Ripper. Well, he was the right size, and he, he knew that part of town. Well, there's your proof. That's how the world looks at the Lester Roloffs of this world. That's how much they hate the work of God. You say, what did that man do? That man repented. He turned. And so how is repentance produced? Well, it's, pro- it's produced by, by preaching. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation. You know what America needs it's not a better Republican Party. It's not a better media. I was going to say a better Democrat Party, but what would you do with that? You know what America needs? America needs preaching. Most of you know the story of Alexis de Tocqueville. When he came to the United States, French philosopher was involved with the giving us the Statue of Liberty and all that. And and, and that long quote, almost poetic quote, where he says, I looked for the, the, the greatness of America in her, her commodious harbors and, and her commerce and, and, and her politics and in her industry. And he went through all these things, education and so forth. He said, but not until I went into her churches and saw the pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understand the genius of America. And he said, America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. You know what produces repentance? Preaching. You know what else re- re- produces repentance? The blessing of God. The Bible says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. When we get the sweet tooth for life or we think that God owes us not just the basics but but, but all of the fringe benefits as well. We cease to be thankful. How about this one, the chastisement of God? Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Oh, thank God. Thank God, the Laodicean church, the only church of the seven that did, that did not have a commendation, but only complaints, he still said, I love you. I love you. Well, in fact, he was saying that's why I'm complaining against your lethargy and lukewarmness, because I love you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I, if you're like me, you don't like going, you don't like going to God's woodshed. Nobody likes going to God's woodshed. But if you're you're saved here this morning, thank God. It'll take you there because he loves you. Because he doesn't, he doesn't chasten those that aren't his. You know, sometimes you get people in church and they hang around for a while. and Well, I don't get, get all this, why these people are all bothered about these things they're bothered about. That's because they're a child of God and you're not. That's why you don't get it. And then the reproof of another believer. And we just looked at that in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Paul says in Galatians 6, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What are the results of repentance? Well, let's stay here in Luke chapter 15 and look at a couple of verses here because the results of repentance are wonderful. They're wonderful. Luke chapter 15, uh, look at verse 7. Luke chapter 15 and verse 7. For I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. It doesn't mean that God doesn't appreciate those ninety-nine But those 99 are safe in the fold. The one came back. There's rejoicing. Beware of the big brother syndrome. Beware of the older brother syndrome. Beware of saying, well, what's the big fuss about this Johnny come lately? I've been here all along. Yeah, and you've gotten unthankful. And your attitude is starting to smell because you can't rejoice anymore. Unless somebody sees you. That's what the older brother was saying. But look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels. Joy in the presence of the angels of God. It doesn't say the angels are rejoicing, although they may be. But there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I wonder this morning if those that have gone on to be with the Lord get the news when somebody they knew gets saved. You think that might be? Somebody they had been witnessing to. Somebody they had been praying for when they were alive on this earth. Maybe that's who's doing the most rejoicing. I don't know. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Turn to Acts chapter 3. One writer said, One thief on the cross was saved that none should despair, and only one that none should presume. I wonder about that thief on the cross. I wonder if he he had a saved mom that was in heaven wonder about that. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I know what the theology is here. I, I know what the timeline's about here in this verse. I, I know what those times of refreshing are. But isn't it refreshing when we turn away from our sins and face God and get his forgiveness and pardon and restored fellowship once again. You know what I think it is? I think it's a time of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. And so I challenge you once again this morning, is there something in your life that needs to be dealt with? Let me say once again to those that are lost, and maybe you're looking online, repentance qualifies you for a pardon. It does not entitle you to it. You need to repent, turn away from your sins and toward the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day and receive him as your personal Savior. But as believers this morning, is there... Is there a short-changing of joy in our lives? Is there an accumulation of things between us and the Lord today? And all we need to really do is take a hard look at it and change our mind. And instead of nursing these pet sins of ours, whatever they might be, we realize that Sin offends God and it brings sorrow to our hearts. and then be like the prodigal Son. One thing you could say about him is when he decided to do something, he did it. And when he said, "I'm going back," he went back. And he repented. There's a little town in a remote part of Labrador in the Maritimes up in Canada. The name of the town is Wabush, W-A-B-U-S-H. For a lot of years, it was completely isolated. You could only get in there by flying in, but eventually they cut a, cut a road through the wilderness to reach it. This town now has one road leading into it, and thus only one road leading out. And the only way you can get out of this town is when you get to the other end of town, hit the end of the road, you have to turn around. Go back the other way. Don't get stuck in Wabush. Turn around. Turn around and go back down that only road that you can go down. And you take the first step toward the Father. Believe me, he'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the gift of repentance. We realize, Lord, as lost sinners, we'd have had none except you granted it to us. And Father, help us to go out to a lost and dying world and tell them about the finished work of Christ, the atonement on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, knowing that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. And Father, in our own lives as believers, may we not nurture pet sins, sins that we refuse to repent of, sins that have become perhaps so much a part of our identity we refuse to part with them in any way, and we're in some ways a little proud of them. Lord, these are the kind of things that can short-circuit our fellowship with you. And Help us as David did in Psalm 51 to... Have a tender heart when we've sinned against you, Lord, and change our minds, have true sorrow, and then do what needs to be done. Turn back to thee. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 497. Number 497. Brother Stan Peterson. Brother Stan, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message today. Father, help us to take it to heart. And Father, to turn to you in repentance. Father, help us to take your gospel out to the world, Father. And Lord, be examples to them and show them your love and give them your word. Dismiss us with your blessings. Bring us back together tonight, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.